Thanks for being here. Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. Why don't you uh, turn to the person to your left or right and tell them what you're going to have for lunch today because I am hungry. Turn your Bible to Acts chapter 2. We're in the middle of two series, actually, one that our other teaching pastors are walking us through in the book of Proverbs, and one that I'm doing that we're calling Flourish about the church, and you'll see why it's called Flourish as we read these scriptures together. First, we'll see on the screen Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. We're going to read that together quickly, followed by Psalm 92, verse 13. So let's read these together. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now, hold on just a second. What I meant by read them together, I meant like not let's read them, but let's read them out loud together. Amen? Amen. Everybody awake today? Yeah, you look good. Um, now I need you to be good. So let's read these out loud together. Here we go. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, this is talking about the righteous. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. So you can see why we're calling it flourish, because there's a progression here. We start out as strangers to the household and family of God. We're not born the children of God. That's a right that is given to those who believe in Jesus, according to John chapter 1, verse 12. Then we transition, adopted into God's household. But even more than that, we are planted in God's house, meaning we put down roots. And so I challenged us uh, last time with, let's not be the first one to leave church on Sunday mornings. Let's linger a little bit because when you linger, that's how you know that people know you and you know people. You catch up with them. How was your week? What's going on in your life? What about that thing that we talked about last time? You linger a little bit, but you can't linger and you can't put down roots if you are the last one here and the first one to leave. So we want to be in God's house, yes, but we also want to be planted in God's house. And when you're planted, then you begin to flourish. Then you begin to bear fruit. That there should be something around here that God is doing that you are able to say, I am a part of that thing that he is doing in this corner of his house called Bayou City Fellowship. So where are you in that progression? Maybe you are still a stranger and it's not because you're strange. It's just because you're not actually in the family of God. Maybe you're a part of the family of God, but you've not put down roots. You're still in the, I just come to church and I leave. I'm doing the bare minimum. Maybe you're in the middle of planting down roots and and maybe you're able to look around and see the fruit. But where are you in that progression? Uh, It's a sad thing that you're really only getting half of these messages because I'm preaching half here and half at the other church. And so we don't typically... Uh, encourage you to go to the podcast because that seems kind of vain. Uh, but uh, since we're doing this series, uh, I really want you to go to the podcast at BayouCityFellowship.com so you can hear the other half of these messages. And a little review, uh, the message I preached last week at our other church in Spring Branch was about the church and the fame of Jesus. How whether you are an atheist, agnostic, or a committed believer, we can all agree it is a fact that Jesus of Nazareth is the most famous person on planet Earth 
who has ever lived and will ever live. He is the most influential person. But what we saw from the scripture, from the word of God, is that his fame is different than our kind of fame. It has a weight and a glory and honor to it that is unique to him. And today we're going to talk about the church and family and addition from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I've told you before that I grew up in a very small church in southwest Missouri. It was about 40 minutes outside of the city that we all lived in. It was a great church, but it was very small. And by small, I mean like 30 people. So there were four, five, six families that really did everything and were everything. It was so small that we didn't have like professional Worship leaders. My my grandma was the worship leader, and on Sunday morning she would come ready with a an order of worship. But on Sunday night we would just go freestyle, which meant that if you wanted to sing a song, you just lifted up your hand and shouted it out, and then we would sing that song. Can you imagine having that much power? You know, as an eight year old, uh, you could do whatever you wanted. And so what would happen on those nights is we would break out the hymnal. Now we had two hymnals. Now if you don't know what a hymnal is, a hymnal was essentially the book before the days of project and screens where it had all the songs in it. And so you would find your favorite song on a Sunday night. We used the blue hymnal. It was the smaller one. And you would find your favorite song and there would be a number. And so you just shout out that number, 75. And everybody would flip to page 75. And then the big moment, though, was if the piano player knew how to play number 75. Because if she didn't know how to play number 75, she would shake it off like a big league pitcher. Like, no... We can't sing this off. And so everybody would know, not 75 didn't make the cut, but what about 84? And everybody switched over to 84, and then the pianist would look at it, and she'd nod her head, and it was go time, and then we'd just kind of all sing the song. So this is what church was like for me growing up, and it was a great experience being all together as a family with these people that we loved very, very deeply. Because we were small, we couldn't afford full-time pastors. And so every pastor I had in my earliest days was what we called bivocational, which means they had two jobs. They, their, their first job was being a pastor, but the job that really kind of paid their bills was something else. And uh, early in elementary school, we got a pastor who was very young, and he was a zookeeper. You know, some pastors have stories about God's great work in the earth Uh, But this guy had stories about snakes that would get lost in the zoo, and he's crawling in tunnels trying to find this cobra, uh, or feeding lions, or getting punched in the face by kangaroos. I mean, he had the best stories. And not only did he have the best stories, but God had placed his hand on this young man, and when he preached, people were moved. And so once he came to our church... Uh, people really began to come, and we went from 30 to 40 to 50 to 70 to about 100. And for the first time in my life, I felt a real momentum and excitement about coming to church. One night at my house, we get a phone call. It's kind of late. It's 9 o'clock at night, which in the days before cell phones, if you got a 
a call at nine o'clock at night, they weren't calling to chat. And it usually meant some bad news, but I was just a boy and I really wasn't paying that much attention. My mom gets on the phone and the news that's coming across the telephone line is that a couple of young men looking for some fun were out in the country where our church was and decided just for laughs to light it on fire. And then they got in their truck and drove about 10 miles down the same farm road to another church and did the exact same thing to that church. And what my mom is getting across the telephone is that it's gone. So the next day, my parents didn't make me go to school, and we all went to church. And when we got there, there were a lot of other people in our little church family that were there. And it was a weird feeling to be walking inside, but there was no inside. It was just inside and outside. And you could see the leftover of the pew that you set in most of your life, and half of it was there, but it was also wet and just charred. It was a very kind of eerie feeling. And I remember just walking around on the, in there and then coming outside and seeing most of the adults kind of gathered together, and they were crying which I thought was a strange thing because nobody had been injured, nobody was hurt, and, and you know, I was a boy, so I didn't really think about what it would take to rebuild something like that, and I just assumed that it was just an, a roadblock, it was just an obstacle, but what I realize now as an adult is that they were crying not because of wood and brick and mortar, but because we were a family and our family had been violated and, and been attacked, and it, and it bothered them a great deal. Well, news spread about what had happened to our church. And immediately, another church that was in the city that we all lived in said, we actually have 10 acres that we bought a long time ago just because it was a good deal. We're never gonna use it. Why don't you have it? And then another church stepped up and said, why you are building on this new land that you've just been given? You know, our church is kind of small and your church is growing and God is really at work. So we'll actually meet early in the morning so you can have our worship uh, sanctuary in the main part of Sunday so that your church continue to grow. And what had already begun began to really accelerate so that by the time we were in this new building on this provided for land, the church was already too small. And they would add and they would add and they would add. So the time I graduated high school, our church was eight times bigger than it had been in my earliest days. So that's what church means to me. That we are a family. That we love one another and we care for each other. But we are also a family where God is working powerfully. That we are a family We have affection and care and compassion, but we are also a family that's growing, which is what I think we read in Acts chapter 2. It says in verse 42, and we're going to list out some marks of this kind of family, a family that consistently has people added to it. And it says, and they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Now, we're not going to talk much about being devoted because that's really what we talked about a couple of weeks ago here in Cyprus. You remember I had those blocks? Because our problem is is not that we don't have devotion. Our problem is that we are over-devoted. We have too many things that we are devoted to. And because we are devoted to so many things, we're really devoted to nothing. And what we end up committed to is just the thing that's the loudest in our ears or the thing that is the most burden to us if we don't do. So we're over-devoted. 
So maybe it's a good reminder for us what we talked about a few weeks ago that we need to remember Jesus died for the church. He didn't die for our hobbies and he didn't die for our kids' school and he didn't die for what they want to do. He didn't die for our family activities. He didn't die for our busy schedules. He died for the church. So maybe our primary devotion should go to the thing that he was the most devoted to, that we shouldn't give our least to the thing that he gave his most to. So they were devoted, verse 43, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So there was awe there. Awe, it, it literally means fear. Now turn to Exodus chapter 19. Keep your finger in Acts chapter 2. Exodus chapter 19. A little context before we jump in at verse 9. Moses has been called by God to lead the Israelites God's people out of slavery in Egypt, and, and he leads them exactly where God wants them to go, which is the wilderness. And now God is instituting, this is what his relationship is going to look like with his people. It says this in verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up onto the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Now that seems kind of extreme, but what God is saying is you need to consecrate the people, because I'm going to come and I'm going to speak to you and I'm going to speak to you and they're all going to hear it. Now, in, the, in a few verses, it's going to say that God is going to speak through lightnings and thunders. But you need to build a fence because what's getting ready to happen is so holy that they're not allowed to be a part of it. So don't let them come. Now, you may think, well, like who would want to climb up a mountain? But... Imagine if there was a place here in Houston, Texas, where you knew tonight that God was going to appear in a way that you could see it. Not, man, God really spoke powerfully through that one person, or worship just had a real sense of God's presence, but like you could go and there was a cloud just kind of hovering around the building. And, and then there was lightning and there was thunder, not in the sky, but just around the building, and you were going to be able to be there, that would probably be worth the gas money, I would think, that you would want to go there if you could guarantee that you were going to hear from God. And, and that's what God is saying, that when this happens, the people, they're going to want to creep up onto the mountain, but you can't let them. And, and he's saying they need to wash themselves and they need to consecrate themselves because this is not normal. So you don't come normally. You got to set yourself apart. And then it goes on. And no hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. So what it's saying is that you don't come up on the mountain or bad things are going to happen to you. And don't let your dog come up on the mountain or your cow come up on the mountain or your donkey wander up on the mountain because something holy is going to happen. And when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. Not all the way on it, but they should just kind of get close. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. 
Now, nobody this morning woke up and thought to themselves, where's my tuxedo? And your wife is like, what are you talking about? Where's your tuxedo? And yeah, yeah, I'm going to the house of God and I need to put on my tuxedo. And you're like, where are my cufflinks? Where are my best shoes? I'm not wearing my old shoes. I'm wearing my best shoes. Where are my best shoes? My best shoes happen to be tennis shoes, but those are my church tennis shoes that I wear. Where are they? No, nobody did that. When you came into the building, you didn't tiptoe. You didn't go, oh, I made it. Okay, I think I'm good. I must have washed myself correctly today in the right order. I got my tuxedo on. My wife's in the evening gown. We're here in our best. Nobody did that. Nobody was scared to come to church this morning. And that's a great thing because we don't have to be scared. We don't have to be worried about losing our lives to come to church. But we should not lose our sense of holiness about this gathering. That even though none of us were worried about death, We should be careful about how we come into God's presence because God is a part of this. God is an active participant in his house in these days on Sunday mornings. He's not a bystander. This is not a reunion of like-minded doctrine. This is not us gathering together to encourage one another in our beliefs. This is not just a lesson so that we can learn more about the things of which we believe. That when we sing, when we pray, when we open up God's word, he is an active participant. And if God is an active participant in the things that I'm doing, I'm going to do them more carefully. I'm going to do them more intentionally. So maybe if God is a part of the songs that I'm singing, because the scripture says that he literally inhabits, he dwells in the songs that I'm singing. He makes himself at home in the praises we sing. Maybe I should every once in a while pull my hands out of my pocket. Or if putting my hands in my pocket is my most reverent position and most intentional position, then maybe I should put my hands in my pocket. But maybe we should do it more intentionally and carefully because he's an active participant. That when we open up the scripture, maybe it's important that we would actually look at it, that we'd actually listen, that we'd actually receive. That when we pray here, knowing that God is a part of it, we wouldn't just let one person pray and then I'm thinking about all the other things that I have to do, but maybe I would amen and right on and uh uh-huh. And that's what I'm talking about. Maybe I could be involved in it if God is involved in it. But I think because, well, we just didn't think of it like that when we came this morning, did we? I mean, how many of us this morning said on our way here, I wonder what's going to happen at church today? Not one person. In fact, if, if somebody had the audacity to ask that question in your car, you'd be like, well, I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen at church today. We're going to sing one song. And nobody's going to be in there. And then somebody's going to get up and do the welcome. And there's going to be a few more people in there, but not that many. And they're going to tell us to welcome one another. And I'm going to sit in the same spot that I sat in last week. And the person behind me is going to sit in the same spot. So I'm going to shake their hand for the fifth week in a row. And I'm not really going to say, how are you doing? Because we don't have the time to to really answer the question. So I'm just going to be like, hey, how are you doing? And that's just a, hey, I acknowledge that you exist on planet Earth. And I'm going to be like, hey, I acknowledge that you exist on planet Earth. Hey, how are you doing? 
And then we're going to sing another song, and then another song. By now, the room's going to feel a little bit more full. And then we're going to sing the fourth and final song, and then the pastor's going to get up, and he's going to pray, and then he's going to tell us to say something dorky to somebody sitting next to us, because that's what he does. And then we're going to hear a message for about 35 minutes, and then we're going to have a time of prayer and ministry, or we're going to take communion because it's either one or the other. We can't do both at the same time at Bayou City Fellowship, apparently. And then we're going to take the offering, and then they're going to make a bunch of announcements. And I'm going to stop listening after the third announcement because who can remember more than three announcements? And then I'm going to get in my car, I'm going to get my kids, and then we're going to go to this restaurant, one of the three restaurants that we normally go to. That's exactly what's going to happen at church today. And everybody said, amen, that's what happens at church. If I had known that we were talking about this, you'd think we would have mixed up the order of worship, but we didn't. (laughs) So we all know what's next. But what if we didn't know what was next? Not what if we didn't know what was next in the order of worship, but what if we just didn't know what was going to happen because God is an active participant in what we're doing, and when he gets in the room, then... Stuff happens that we weren't expecting in the car right here. Which makes the next part of verse 43 possible in Acts chapter 2. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Means that there were miracles. The power of God on display, I like how one pastor said it, that Signs and wonders are signs that make you wonder. They're signs that inspire awe. And a healthy church has miracles in its testimony. Not just miracles. Has the word of God. Has the sovereignty of God. But it has the power of God on display. A healthy church has miracles that are a part of its story. You know, that was really the big question that I had in my heart when we stepped out to start this church. Not would people come, because they write books about how to get people to come to your church. You can go to the bookstore right now, you can go on Amazon and just write in how to get people to come to your church, and there will be more books than you could read in your lifetime. So, really wasn't worried about getting people to church. I mean, I am. I mean, I still think maybe this is going to be the Sunday that nobody's going to show up, but. That was secondary. My real question was not whether or not there would be bodies in the building. But would God mark us and anoint us with his presence and power? Because you can't read about that in a book. You can't hire a church consultant to come and give you three steps to the power of God, anointing of God, marked out by God. And I wondered for a while. About the six-month mark, I started kind of putting some clues together because I would hear pretty similar stories. I'd say, after church was over, hey, this is my first time here. And it was great. And, but as, as soon as the worship started, I began to cry. And these were people that, you know, like, don't cry. And I wanted to be like, What's the matter with you, you know? But then the second person say it, you know, when the message started, I just just began to, to weep in my seat. Or when 
prayer time happened. I, I don't know why. I wasn't even sad, and, but I just began to just cry. And I'm like, is this the anointing that God has given us, like the crying anointing? Like, who wants that? But what they were saying was, somehow, in, in different ways, the power of God just fell on me. And my cold or stale heart began to beat again. And I knew at that moment that God had marked us out. And that is a miracle. A couple of months ago, we had a, a man in our church family that has cancer and uh, he had had it for a while and done everything that you and I would do if we found out that diagnosis, surgery, treatment, radiation, chemo, all of those things. And a couple of months ago, he was post-surgery and in the treatment phase and it was going well according to the doctors. And every time he would go back for his checkup, there would be an incremental decrease in his numbers, which was a really positive thing. And so they're committed people at our church and awesome and well-loved. And one Sunday, we get to the end of the service, and it was time for prayer and ministry time. And so everybody stands up, and prayer team comes forward. And this, this family had come forward before, but it wasn't always about his illness. Sometimes it would be about their teenage boys, and sometimes it would be about other things and jobs. And just wonderful people. And, but for whatever reason, this week, they just had some fresh stirring in them for his healing and cancer. And so they got up and they came forward and they found somebody and they're telling them this is the story and this is the update and this is where we're at and we don't know why, but we're just praying. Will you pray for us right now? And so prayed right there, just a few of them together. And that week, he goes back for more checkups for his numbers. And there had been incremental decrease, which is really positive things. And the doctors were super pumped about it. But when the numbers came back this time, it was like he didn't have cancer at all. And his numbers didn't do incremental decrease. They did monumental decrease, almost to zero decrease. And you may be like, well, that was probably the chemo kicking in. That was probably the radiation kicking in. That was probably the doctor's wisdom kicking in. And I'm like, I don't care. Because they prayed and they had faith and they believed it was a miracle. And if they believed it was a miracle, then I believe it was a miracle. And that's a healthy church where those kinds of things happen. That's not always going to happen. Somebody's going to get numbers that go up and not down, and it might be me, and it might be you, and the sovereignty of God, that's just what's going to happen. But a healthy church has a healthy amount of the miraculous that comes in the overflow of God being a full participant in what we do. So this is a gathering, yes, but it's more than just a reunion. It's more than just an encouragement. God is here, and if he's here, then there should be awe here and miracles here. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now when we read verses like that in Houston, Texas, you can immediately feel the tension in the room. Like, is this where we're going? Is this where this message is going? That like we're going to take our paychecks and we're just going to all put them in the middle. Some of us who are not making that much money would be like, amen to that. But, you know, the rest of us are like, that sounds a lot like something spiritual, yes, but also sounds a lot like communism. And this is America and we don't do stuff like that. 
Is that where this is going? And where we're going to have to sell all of our stuff, where I got to feel bad about having stuff because, you know, and then I got to get rid of it and I got to give it to people who don't have stuff. Is that where we're headed? Well, here's the deal. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to set you totally free, as free as you've ever been in your whole life. I'm going to set you free. And then I'm going to add a little tension back into your life because all this giving right here in Acts chapter two, totally voluntary, totally voluntary. Nobody was saying you have to do this. This is what God requires. This was just the bubbling up of gladness in their hearts. And this is what they wanted to do. Jesus had saved them. They were together. They loved one another. This is what they were doing. Just bringing all their possessions, everything they had, and just laying them down together. You need this? Take it. I need that? I'm going to take it. They were just together, but it was voluntary. I mean, even God built into the Ten Commandments your right to private property when he said, thou shalt not steal. So nobody needs to take anything from you. Just a few chapters after Acts chapter 2, in chapter 5, there are two people who kind of get caught up, a husband and wife, in this whole generosity thing. And they sell a bunch of their land and give most of it to the church. But they keep back a little bit for their own livelihood, which they needed. The problem was is that they told everybody that they gave what they got for it. They didn't tell anybody that they kept it for themselves because they just wanted people to believe the best about them, you know. And they ended up dead. So don't lie about how much tithes and offerings that you give. (laughs) I'm kidding. But they did end up dead. And not like, oh, later on in life they died. Like right then they died because they lied about it. But in the middle of that, before they passed on, the apostle Peter said, listen, you could have done whatever you wanted to with that land. You could have kept it. You could have sold it. And when you sold it, you could have done whatever you wanted to with that money. It was yours to have. Decide what to do with. But you lied. So you're free today. You're totally, totally free today. And, and a little side note for us this morning. In a church family, sometimes there's a strong pull to put on someone else's righteousness. That's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. All these people are giving, giving, giving. And, and there was this pull to do the same thing. But you want to let someone else's expression of righteousness be their expression you want to let them, their calling be their calling, and you find your calling. See, we all have the standard of the Word of God that we need to live underneath. But how that standard is expressed in our individual lives is between you and God. But in church, when you look around and somebody is doing something great, then you can feel like, well, maybe I'm supposed to also do that thing. But someone else's expression of righteousness will not look good on you because it won't fit you. Someone else's calling will not look good on you because it does not fit you. It's not how God has made you, and it's not what God has asked you to do. A couple of real specific examples that I I see are common, not in our church, but just in church in general. The way that we school our children, there can be a magnetic pull to express someone else's righteousness. There's all kinds of different ways to school your children. There's public school, there's Christian school, there's private school, there's homeschool, and now there's like this 14th option, which is to do like all of the schoolings together into one massive thing. And what happens is I, I know amazing people that I want to be like in each of those different categories. 
But when the second amazing family joins into this one, then I'm like, well, maybe that's the one that is the best. And more than that, maybe that's the one that God is blessing the most. And, and maybe the one I'm in is not a good one at all. And I need to join in what they're doing. You may be like, well, I know this one family and they send their kids to Christian school and it's so awesome and they can talk about Jesus there and the teachers can pray with them. Like, never mind that you can't afford it. But you've got to get your kid there because that's what God is blessing. You may love a family that does homeschool and you're like, they're just pray all day and it's amazing and their kids serve the poor. My kids are learning about dirty jokes over there in public school and their <laughs> kids are, hey, listen, dirtiest jokes I've ever heard happened. I learned from Christian kids. So uh, you're like, they're serving the poor, homeschool. I got a homeschool. Never mind that like you would murder your kids and they would murder you in a homeschool setting but that's what God is blessing and that's what God is doing and that's what God loves the most and so you got to be a part of it and we just need to be free today to just do the thing that God has called you to do you don't worry about the specific expressions of righteousness in somebody else's life another example is not just schooling but this amazing thing of adoption and foster care I mean, there's not a more selfless act in the world than to open up your home and heart to kids who need some homes and hearts. It's beautiful. But it's not everybody's calling. But these people are so wonderful. And they honestly, they get lifted up. And we all want to be lifted up. We all want to be recognized. And there can be this pull in us that if they're doing that, then I got to do that. And if and I want a little credit for all my hard work. And so maybe this is the way to go. And, and that's not a calling that you want to borrow from somebody. So you got to know what specific expression of righteousness is mine. And let other people's be theirs. And also, we have to be free with people not joining in our calling. We can't encourage other people to love our calling because we're insecure. Because we want honor. We want credit. We want somebody to come alongside of us and be like, oh, we're doing this together. You're so wonderful. I'm so wonderful. We got to be free that when we talk about what God is asking us to do, we make sure to honor what he's asking them to do as well, whether it's the same as us or not. Our insecurity is not a good reason for talking someone in to our calling. So when it comes to this generosity, we're all supposed to be generous. That's in the word of God. But how that is specifically expressed in your life is between you and God. So you're free today. Make your money. Keep your money. You're free. No judgment. No God loves you less. You're free. But there should be some tension in our hearts if we follow Jesus. This past week, um, we sent Jackson and Annabeth off to school on Friday. We sent them out with a little bit of money. 
$4, in fact, two for each, because it was Spirit Shop. And Spirit Shop is a place where their elementary school sells school swag, you know, like sweatshirts and t-shirts, but also more affordable things like pencils and pens and slap bracelets, all things that end up immediately in the trash can. But it's apparently in the culture of life that you give your kids money to buy these things that they won't want and you definitely don't want. And so it was Valentine's Day though, and so it was a themed spirit shop. And so there was a lot of Valentine's stuff. And so we send them out the door, $2 each. Most of them are nickels, of course, because we didn't have cash because we live in 2015. And, uh, and so we send them out, but we're telling them, you can buy this and you can buy this, you can buy this, because they give you a little menu. That's how organized their school is. And it was like, oh, by the way, None of these things are for you. It's Valentine's Day. The idea is for you to buy each other gifts or to buy your dad a gift or buy your mom a gift or buy somebody a gift, but this is not for you. And they were definitely depressed by that. But we're sending them out with commands. And literally, almost as Jackson is walking out the door, he's going to be nine on Tuesday. He goes, oh, I forgot to tell you, there was this really important math worksheet that I had to have and I lost it and I don't know where it is. And my teacher said, like, I really need it. And so we're like, well, can you get another one? No. Can we print one offline? I don't think so. So what you're telling us is that you've lost something that is irreplaceable and there's nothing we can do about it. Yep, that's, that's what I'm saying. So my wife, she's so brilliant. She goes, well, you need to buy your math teacher some spirit shop Valentine's Day gifts then because she's got to put up with you all week long. So they come home from school and uh, we are, how you doing? All those kinds of things. And we wanted to know, what did you get at Spirit Shop? And Jackson, he got his teacher stuff. And he, I was so proud of him, number one, because he was bold and he actually bought his teacher stuff. And then also he bought so much stuff for $2. It was really amazing. I was kind of proud of how far he stretched those nickels. I was just, my frugal heart was very blessed by it. So we turn to Annabeth, who's six. Who'd you buy for? And she's like, me. And she pulls out of her backpack, not one, not two, but three bracelets, and then puts them all on her wrist at the same time and wears them. No gift for mommy, no gift for daddy, no gift for teacher, no gift for brother. Three gifts for her, because in her mind, she deserved them most. But she's six. So her worldview is her. We're not six. We're much older than six. So our worldview should not just be us. And so it's true. You could do whatever you want with your money. You're free. And if your worldview is you, if your worldview is me and mine, then you're going to keep it. But if your worldview is bigger if your worldview incorporates your faith in Jesus, then there will be part of you that when you could buy for yourself, you just feel that tension. Maybe I should lay this down in the community of believers so that it ends up in the hands of some people who need it more than I do. He says in verse 26, 46, and day by day attending the temple together, together is the key word, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were together. They were together for worship. They would go to the temple. I brought a picture of the temple so that you can see. Of course, this is a reconstruction. 
The temple is the main part there in the middle, but then the courts were surrounding it. And every day, those courts would be filled with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And these new Christians, they would gather together. They'd just find a little corner of the temple and they would come and they would do all the things that the rest of the Jewish people were doing. They would listen to teaching. They would be together. They would pray. They would sing. They would do all these things. But their difference is that they would do them now in the name of Jesus. And so they just all knew the word had spread at nine o'clock in the morning. We're all headed to the temple, northwest corner. We're going to be there and we're going to sing and we're going to pray. We're going to be together. We're going to listen to the word of God all in the name of Jesus, the Messiah. So they were together for worship, but they were also together for fun. So that they were breaking bread together in their homes. What's the point of that? Is there some deep spiritual point? The deep spiritual point is just being together and enjoying one another. Something powerful about that. See, there's a ministry of showing up that some of us need to take on. Not a big life change the world ministry yet. Your first ministry is just the ministry of showing up. Showing up at church, showing up to serve, showing up in community group, showing up in women's Bible study, showing up with the people of God for maybe no other purpose than just being together. And how do they come together? They come together with generous hearts and glad hearts. Listen, if people receive you and accept you, that's between them and God. And God does have a standard for them. We are supposed to be hospitable and they are supposed to be hospitable. Whether or not they receive you in is between them and God, but let's not make it hard on people. Let's not make it hard on people to love us. And one of the ways that we cannot make it hard on them is just having a glad heart. You know how you have a glad heart? People are glad when you come around. You ever met somebody who they were a taker and not a giver in a relationship? They're hard to love. It's between God and us whether we love them or not, and we should. But let's not make it hard on people. We come with generous hearts to give, not to take. We come with glad hearts. Then verse 47, and praising God and having favor with all the people. Favor with all the people, that meant favor with each other, the Christians, favor with the, the Jewish people who didn't yet believe that Jesus was the Messiah, favor with the Roman governors and soldiers. They had favor with all the people. And you have more influence as a part of the family of God than you have on your own. If you have somebody that you care about, you're more likely to influence them in the context of this family than you are on your own. This uh, past week, I was seeing on Facebook little spiritual drama happening in my family there uh, back in Missouri. And so that's how I keep up with them, a weekly phone call to my mom and then Facebook. And Facebook is really Amanda's Facebook because I don't have any friends. And, uh, and so I keep up with them. And uh, so Facebook just explodes in the last week or so because one of my relatives, not it's like a super close relative, but in the family, I'm not embarrassed to admit, in the family is putting on their posts for the whole world to see the church is a bunch of hypocrites and this and this and this and this and all these different things. And so people start coming in, bouncing in and offering answers. Of course, you know how Facebook works. And the next post, a couple of days later, she went to a Unitarian Universalist church, which is a little uh, 
you know, rewind for all of us who don't know what that is. Uh, Unitarian Universalist is essentially a place where you can believe whatever you want to believe. Let's just believe it under the same roof. That's it. And so my family is grieved. Is, you know, she walking away from the faith and all these different things. But thankfully, my mom and sister had said to her, hey, come to church with us, our church, this particular Sunday. And she agreed to come. So I'm talking with my mom and my mom's like strategizing, you know, it's like, should I bring it up? Should I bring up the hypocrisy? Should I bring up all these different issues? And I'm like, well, you can, if she brings it up, here's what I would do. When she comes to church, I would introduce her to your four favorite people. And that's it. Then invite her to come back next week. And then introduce her to your next four favorite people. Now, by this time, people are going to start figuring out where they rank in your friendship. But in my experience, most of our intellectual problems, we will gladly answer in the context of family. And that's what I would say to you. You have a neighbor who you care about and you want to see added into the family of God. Pressure's not on you. Because you by yourself, they could easily write you off. You're weird, you're strange, you're unusually kind, compassionate. Most people are not like that. They can easily write you off as an individual, but you come and bring them into the family of God where everyone is kind and everyone is compassionate and everyone is forgiving and everyone is warm and everyone is welcoming. That's a force that's almost irresistible. That's why we wanna invite people to church, not because the messages are so great or the songs are so great, but because together, we have almost irresistible influence in people's lives. And that's why it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, that's our prayer for Bayou City Fellowship, that every time we gather, somebody crosses the line from death to life. Somebody is added into the family of God. You know, we talk about this access room over here to my right and your left, and we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. And Last week at our other church in Spring Branch, we sang a song right before I got up, the same one we sang today about Jesus' return, come Lord Jesus, even so come. And, and so I got up and I mentioned the same things to them that I did to you a few weeks before, but Jesus is returning to reality and, and you're going to be affected one way or the other. You're going to be affected positively, eternal peace, eternal joy, eternal happiness, or you're going to be affected negatively eternal separation, eternal torment, eternal hell. And Jesus is coming with a book. It's called the book of life and it's got a list of names in it. And if you believed in Jesus, then you get your name in that book. But when he comes, the book is complete. You don't get a chance to be like, oh, now I see and now I wanna be in the book of life. It's too late. And so I'm sharing all this with them. Just ask them the real simple question. Do you feel confident that your name is in that book? And if you don't, over here to my right and your left is a place called the access room. And as everybody else is leaving, then you want to head over there and have a conversation because you can leave with confidence that your name is in the book of life today. Not because of what you've done or how well you've performed or how many times you've come to church, but because Jesus loved you, gave his life up for you, resurrected from the dead. Now you can have that kind of life. But it's awkward to walk into a room and there's people there and they're staring at you and you're staring at them. And so I'm trying to take that awkwardness away. So I'm like, if you don't know what to say, just walk in and go, the book. And they'll know exactly what you're talking about and they'll take the conversation from there. 
So church is over. We tell everybody about the access room again, and we leave. We sing one last song, and we have prayer and ministry time, and then we do the offering, and then we do the announcements, and then we linger around, and then we go to our respective restaurants. And So I'm at our respective restaurant, and I get a text message on my phone from one of our pastors, and it says this couple walked into the access room and just said the book. And they left with confidence that their name is in the book of life. See, we're a family, but we're also a family that is growing. Not because we read some strategy and some bestseller, but because God is an active participant in what we're doing. And when he is around, people are going to be added. So Father, we come to you and we just pray that even today, some people would be added in to our number today. That some people would come and join the family, not by good works, not by church attendance, not by restoration of their family's religion, but because they believed in the Son of God today. Yeah, we ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? We are going to have a time of ministry and prayer as we leave this morning. So if our prayer and ministry team will come and take their places. And here's what this is for as they come up here. and We're a family and a family prays together. And so if you just want to be prayed for today, then come and pray. You may also be in need of a miracle. You may be like, my, my miracle is not cancer level, it's just relational. Then come and pray. You say, my miracle is not a big financial need, it's, it's just a small one. But it's a miracle nonetheless. Come and pray. You may say, I don't have a wayward teenager that I got to come and I got to shed tears about. But I got a seven-year-old and it's, I'm kind of intense on parenting them right now and we're not in sync. You maybe need a miracle. You need a family member to come and pray for you. So that's what this time is for. So come and let your family intercede to God who is not far away but is an active participant in what we're doing. And when he is an active participant, then miracles are always in the aftermath. And we can't make promises that only God can keep, but we have seen God do some amazing miracles here. And one might be available to you today through prayer as a family. So Father, make this time of prayer holy. We respect it because you're here. I pray that as worship comes out of our hearts, it will be more than just songs, but it will be praise well here with us. So answer these prayers according to your name, according to your glory, but also for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So you come and pray and let's worship together.